and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your spirit to be our teacher, for the enemy to be blocked away, and for you to work in our hearts. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you something that um, about three years ago, Joyce and I are blessed to be able to take young folks overseas. We've been doing it for 15, 16 years. Sometimes we've taken adults. The black ones went with us and uh, once. But three years ago, we worshiped in C.S. Lewis's church, Holy Trinity, in Oxford, and they had a lay reader of the Bible in that service that morning, and I have never been moved as much by someone reading the Bible as I have by that man. In fact, after he got through, I felt like we don't need a sermon. Uh, The Bible itself was good enough, and what I realized was that he was reading the Bible very slowly, and so I've been trying to read the Bible slowly, and it's about to kill me. And what I've learned is every American preacher I know gets up and flies through the Scripture. Uh, And you preachers here tonight, I hadn't heard you read the Bible, but I bet you do it too because everyone I know in Nashville does it. And I gave our staff up there a good talking to about it and didn't do a bit of good. (laughs) And I was struggling tonight to slow down and read it slowly. And I, I just, it's hard. So anyway, I just offer that as a, a word of insight. Now, I want to say, secondly, that I don't know many people that can, very few people can quote poetry, and almost uh, a few more than that can read poetry. I wish my wife, uh, you could hear her read it, but uh, she's not here, and she's not a preacher. But I'm going to attempt to read some poetry, and I'm not good at it. There is an art to reading poetry so that you're just carried away by it. This is a hymn written by a minister named James Montgomery in the early 1800s. Lift up your heads, ye gates of brass, ye bars of iron, yield, and let the king of glory pass, the cross is in the field. That banner, brighter than the star, that leads the train of night, shines on their march and guides them from far, his servants, to the fight. 
A holy war these servants wage, mysteriously at strife. The powers of heaven and hell engage for more than death or life. Ye armies of the living God, his sacramental host, where hallowed footsteps never trod, take your appointed post. Though few and small and weak your bands, strong in your captain's strength, go to the conquest of all lands, all must be his at length. Those spoils at his victorious feet you shall rejoice to lay, and lay yourselves as trophies meet in his great judgment day. O fear not, faint not, halt not now, in Jesus' name be strong. To him shall all the nations bow and sing with you this song. Uplifted are the gates of brass, the bars of iron yield. Behold, the King of glory pass, the cross has won the field. The Lord Jesus himself might have written those words, and he might have addressed them to this church that we read about tonight, the church at Philadelphia. I want to begin by telling you that Philadelphia is not like Laodicea. It's not an important or wealthy city. It was a city that was strategic for one reason. It was in a good location. We don't know very much about how the church began. We don't know much about uh, how it grew. What we do know is that it was a small, suffering, but staunch church. Now, in America, we think that if the church isn't big, it must not be doing much. I hasten to remind you that some of the greatest leaders and preachers of the 20th century all grew up in small churches. Billy Graham, Chuck Swindoll, James Dobson. In fact, I have a long list I could give you of well-known leaders in American Christianity. Nearly every one of them grew up in small churches. So don't write off small churches. This was a small church. It had not denied Christ. It is one of the two churches of the seven mentioned here in Revelation that doesn't receive some criticism from it. There's only praise for this church. And so I think we need to see what we can learn from what they were doing there in Philadelphia. Like all the other letters, it begins with a word of self-characterization. Jesus speaks about himself in the beginning. And there are four phrases here that tell us about his person, his position, and his power. His person and his position and his power. Look first at his person. In verse 7, he is holy. Christ is using the title of God, the, the title that God uses in the Old Testament. His name in the Old Testament was often described as holy. What Jesus Christ is saying here is, I am God. I am divine. And he would have to say this, lest the people would laugh what he says here to scorn lest they would make fun of him. Because what follows after he says this is outlandish. It is preposterous. It is ridiculous unless he is God. So he says, first of all, I am holy. Secondly, he says, I am true in verse 7. He is saying, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not messing with you. I'm not fooling with you. I am not a fake. I am the truth, the life. I am like <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not like every other person in the universe who lies. Not one person in this room has gone through life without telling a lie here and there. He says, I am truth and I'm telling it like it is. And if he says what, he, what follows, he is going to fulfill it. 
And thirdly, and secondly, let's talk, that's his person. Let's talk about his position in verse 7. He says he has the key of David. Now, you can't understand that unless you go way back in the Old Testament to Isaiah. Makes me think I'm at home. (laughs) Isaiah chapter uh, 22. I'll read that to you. Isaiah 22, beginning at verse 20. In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, And I will clothe him with your robe and bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. Now, I don't think you can understand what Jesus is saying here unless you understand what is said back there in Isaiah. Eliakim was a man chosen to negotiate, to be an ambassador with Assyria. He was to be the king's steward or representative or ambassador. And Eliakim in this passage is a prototype of Jesus Christ. Just as Eliakim was a true steward of Jerusalem, so Jesus is a true steward of the new Jerusalem. (coughs) The government of the church is in his hands. He is, the God, he is God's governor in the sense of the church. Now, I was here a couple of years ago, and we had the conference on the Covenanters. And remember, that was the issue. Who's the governor of the church? Is it the king? Is it a group of men? Or is it Christ alone? Jesus is saying he is the governor. He is the one who rules the church. He has the keys. Matthew 28, verse 18, the Great Commission, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Do you believe that? That's a far-reaching verse, all authority. Jesus Christ has authority over the city council in Macon, Georgia. I don't know whether y'all have a city council. I don't know what kind of government you have. He has authority over the mayor. He has authority over the United States Supreme Court. He has authority over the President of the United States. He has authority everywhere. He has authority over all the mullahs in Iran. And on and on I could go. His person, his position, his power. Again, out of verse 7. What does it say? It says he opens and shuts. What does that mean? Well, if there's a key, the key goes in a door. The door is the door to the city of of David or the new Jerusalem or heaven. Jesus is saying here that he has the key to the door of salvation. He is saying, I'm the way to heaven, an exclusive claim. Jesus loved me. Uh, Do you know the second verse? Jesus loves me, he who died heaven's gate. To open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his little child come in. And why can he do this? He can do this, of course, because of Calvary, because of what he accomplished on the cross. But I want you to notice something else here, though. He can close the door, he can open it, and he can close it. If that seems hard to you, I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 and verse 24. 
Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Look at verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Now we're going to have a whole sermon on that passage, but suffice to say that he can open the door, he can close the door. And if that seems hard that he can close it, it's not just taught here in Revelation, it's taught in several places in the Bible. Now I have to say the, the door is still open. Have you gone through the door? And if you have not, rest assured that there is a day coming when that door will be closed. It will be closed either by your death or his return. And it will not ever be opened again. There is no second chance after we die and he closes the door. Well, then he, re- he, he speaks a challenge to this church. I want you to look at verse 8. Now we're back in Revelation Chapter 3, look at verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He says, I know you're weak. You're a little bitty church. You're not strong, and you're small and insignificant as far as the world goes. To the world, Philadelphian Christians, you're not very important. But to me... You're very important. I'm putting before you an open door because I know you can meet the challenge. An open door symbol doesn't really resonate with us, but it did to them. And here's why. Philadelphia was not a wealthy town, but I said it was important because of its location, because of its geography. It lay in an area where three countries converged. And it had been established for one reason, to spread Hellenism. Now, I'm sure you remember from 10th grade world history what Hellenism is. Hellenism is Greek culture. And so it had been established because it was in a strategic place because it would be easy to spread out Greek thinking. It was a frontier town. It was a mission town for Greek thought and culture. It was known as the Gateway to the East. And when Jesus said to them, you have an open door, they would immediately know what he was talking about. He was saying, my church has been established for missionary purposes. You folks are in a very important location. There's an open door. I believe you can go through it and take the gospel. There's a great opportunity for you. Well, there's an open door for us too. Though your sins be as scarlet, Though they be red like crimson, they can be white like wool. We are to tell the world that truth. Now let me prove to you there's an open door. Is everybody that you know a Christian? I don't think so. Is everybody at your business or your office a Christian? Is everybody in your school a Christian? Everybody live on your street a Christian? I'm going to guess that the population of Macon, Georgia, and this is strictly a guess, is 100,000 people. How many people do you think were in church in Macon yesterday? Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. How many of you think of all the churches of any shape, form, and fashion were in church yesterday in Macon? 
I will take a hazard a guess that if there are 100,000 people in this town, maybe. Now, you start thinking of the biggest churches and how many they had and start adding up all the little ones. I would say maybe between 20 and 30,000, probably about 25,000 people were in church yesterday in this city. We, we've got to learn to be missionaries to America. There's an open door for all of us. I'm going to come back and say some more about that in a little bit. I want you to notice that Jesus Christ is the one who opens the door. And what we have in the background here is the sovereignty of God. And that the key is in his hand, and he opens the door. Uh, just as he, a good illustration of this in a real situation is Acts chapter 12 and verse 10, when they were in prison, and uh, the prison door was literally opened. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately an angel left him. He opens the door, and he closes the door. Now, this is a missions conference. This is a world missions conference. <clears throat> Let us never despair at the closing of a mission door. He opens and closes doors all over the world. Now, just think with me. There was a time when North Africa was wide open. It's just about closed shut right now. There was a time in most of our lives when China was closed. There seems to be quite a bit of opening there now, doesn't it? North Korea is closed. South Korea is open. There are a few cracks in the door in Cuba. We could go on and on around the world. We were talking this morning when the pastors met with the missionaries. Uh, I'm of the opinion, and they were too, everybody in the room I think was in agreement, that it appears that God is moving the headquarters of the church. You know, for the 20th century, most of the 20th century, the money of the missionaries came from North America. We're starting to lose fast. God is moving the church to Southern Africa, to China. I read where there were more Christians in worship on an average Sunday in Nigeria than in all of Europe put together. I think that in North America, we're about 50 to 75 years behind Europe. I think our grandchildren are going to catch it. I think our grandchildren, if Christ doesn't come back, our grandchildren are going to have real persecution if they stay faithful to Christ. The Spirit seems to be leaving North America now. It's not too late to pray for revival and for something to change, but it certainly does look like he's closing the door in North America, and he's opening it <coughs> around the world. <coughs> it has to be to our shame if we don't walk through an open door. We're commanded to do so. Hopefully, in this church and in all of our PCA churches and in all evangelical churches that are faithful, there is thinking that goes on constantly uh, about how to go through open doors. One of the things that I used to uh, try to pray every time we had a session meeting, and still do, is for the session and for the missions committee and for the outreach committee to think creatively, for the Holy Spirit to give us creative thinking about how we can reach those out there, that 70,000 or 65,000 in Bibb County or Macon or wherever it is, that aren't going to church, most of whom think they're in great shape. But we all know the difference. And so 
I want to ask you to think and pray about how can we go through the open door that's obviously here, the open door that's going on around the world. Have you read Jesus in Beijing? It's written by David Aikman. He was the Time Magazine uh, News Bureau Chief in Peking, China. And uh, it's probably five years old now, but it's an amazing story of the growth of the church in China. I believe there are more Christians in China than there are in America. There are 200 underground seminaries in China. And, of course, you know their motto, which we talked about a little bit this morning in the meeting, is back to Jerusalem. The gospel has spread around the world, and they think they're going to have so many num- Their numbers are so great, they're going to take the gospel right back to the Middle East, circumnavigate the whole world. That's exciting to think about, to think about being a part of. Well, he reminds them when they go through the door, they're going to face some obstacles. So let's don't be naive. Think this is going to be easy. If you go through an open door here or if you go to Africa or you go to Europe or wherever you go to be a missionary, the Lord's calling you. Don't think it's going to be easy. But just remember, he just said, I'll go with you. That's all you need. He said, you see that fox running on the horizon out there? You see that bird on the, on the limb? When the sun goes down, they've got more security than you have if you follow me. But if you follow me, I'm all you need. That's enough. That's what it takes. He says you're going to face contempt. Look at verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Always before you go, uh, usually before you go through the door, there's contempt. It usually comes in the form of mockery. I remember talking to someone about Christ one time, and this is what he said to me. While I believe there's as much chance of what you've just said being true as there is of Peter Pan coming and rescuing me from Captain Hook and taking me to Never Never Land. (laughs) You think that one's strange? Listen to this one. One night I got a call at 2 o'clock in the morning from a son of one of my officers, an elder's son. He 